Welcome to IAQ Radio, the voice of the indoor air quality industry. Yes, the rules have changed. Yes, the rules have changed. Good day, wherever you're listening from, and welcome to Indoor Air Quality Radio, IAQ Radio, on Friday, March 30th, 2012. Episode number 242 is being broadcast live from our studio in McKees Rocks, PA. My name is Cliff Slotnecker, the Z-Man. Uh, our co-host, Radio Joe, is teaching a, a course and may be calling in. At the controls is our injure, engineer, Roxy V. Val Bender. Good morning. Okay, today's segments include the IAQ Radio Trivia Question, an interview with our guest, Daryl Paulson, roundup with our technical director, Dr. Dietrich Weil. I write and post a blog after each show. Check it out on our website, www.iqradio.com. Now it's time to thank our marquee sponsors. Net Claims Now, providing insurance billing services for the restoration industry for fire, water, mold, and reconstruction billing. Learn more about them at www.netclaimsnow.com. Indoor Environment Connections, the newspaper for the IAQ industry. Subscriptions and advertising information are available at ieconnections.com. John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop. Visit them at www.johndon.com. Clean Facts and Cleaning and Maintenance Management Magazine, your source for cleaning and maintenance news. Visit them at cleanclenfax.com and cmmonline.com. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IEQ Radio when you inquire about their services and products. To listen to the show live, follow the link on your show invitation or to go to the show button on our website. You can stream or download archived shows at our website. The show can be downloaded also from the website and from iTunes. Don't forget, you can earn ABIH CM points, IICRC continuing education credits, or ACAC renewal credits by emailing Radio Joe and requesting a quiz. Radio Joe's email is joe.use at iaqtraining.com. Last but not least, please visit the IAQ Training Institute website for the schedule of the training courses you trust at iaqtraining.com. When a 
cool prize by outcompeting fellow IEQ Radio listeners and being the first person to correctly answer the IEQ Radio trivia question each week. Submitting your answer is easy. Email it to cslotnick at cs.com, or if you're listening to the show live via your computer, you can text in your answer. I'm sorry to report there were no correct answers to last week's trivia question. The IEQ Radio trivia question for Friday, March 30th, 2012 has been sponsored by Triska, the Tri-State Restorers and Specialty Cleaners Association, who have been serving the needs of and advocating for their members for over 30 years. Triska is your link to industry training, certification, standards, and events. Check out their electronic membership category at www.trsca.org. Now for this week's trivia question. Trade associations that meet the requirements of this Internal Revenue Code section are exempt from federal income tax as business leagues. The same provision extends to exemption to chambers of commerce, real estate boards, boards of trade, and professional football leagues. Name that IRS section. IICRC. The IICRC is a standard-setting nonprofit organization for the inspection, cleaning, and restoration industry, serving more than 25 countries with offices in the United States, Canada, the United Kingdom, Australia, New Zealand, and Japan. In partnership with regional and international trade associations, the IICRC represents the entire industry. Originally founded in 1972, the IICRC is recognized internationally as a knowledgeable industry voice and resource. There are currently more than 53,000 active certified technicians, many with multiple certifications, and more than 6,000 certified firms around the world. The IICRC, with participation from the entire industry, develops standards for inspection, cleaning, and restoration. The IICRC also serves as valuable com consumer referral source for certified technicians and firms. Now let's talk about the person who leads that organization, Daryl Paulson. Daryl has long been committed to the IICRC, serving in roles on the board and executive committee, including first vice president, treasurer, and strategic planning committee chairman. He has spoken at various conferences and is a recognized instructor for many continuing education and professional development courses. In 1984, Darrell founded Advanced Restoration Specialists when he anticipated the need for a specialized restoration division separate from his already established carpet and upholstery cleaning firm. Darrell proceeded into the restoration industry with an intense commitment to satisfy the needs of both the insured and the insurer. Through hard work, many years of experience, and continuing education, ARS is now a leading provider of emergency mitigation services specializing in fire, water, mold, and sewage restoration in Southern California. Darrell, we have some intro music for you. Okay, we thought that Queen Latifah's Unity would be some good intro music for you, 
this morning. Thank so, you. Okay. Well, Daryl, uh, number one, thank you for joining us. We're, we're really glad to have you. And I know that you've been really busy lately, and uh, I'm glad you could fit us into your schedule. Okay. Absolutely. Let, I'm glad to be here. Thank you for having me. What can you tell us about the IICRC's early tri- early history? I mean, how did it got, get started? Whose idea? You know, what can you tell us about the early days? Well, I actually started my career in 1976-77, so I don't have an exact exact uh, um, recollection, but I've tried to uh, get the best that, uh, that I'm aware of, and, and uh, I know that the originator of the IICUC uh, was Ed York, and Ed York uh, convinced a small group of in- independent carpet and upholstery cleaners to go in together and create the IICUC as a for-profit entity. And uh, Ed owned a carpet cleaning and equipment manufacturing company and a chemical supply house uh, called Steam Services in Fresno, California. And I'm from the Los Angeles area, and uh, I had met Ed, and he uh, sold then new steam cleaning systems for carpet cleaning. Uh, Steam Services customers were very hungry for training and how to use the system and to perform cleaning services. So Ed started a training school, Fiber Cleaning Schools of America, uh, FCSA, and became a type of a trade school for people looking to enter the carpet and upholstery cleaning business. And and uh, that was a great source for all of us for equipment and supplies. And um, anyway, uh, Ed uh, went to the state of California to get his trade school officially recognized so it could qualify for government money for student tuition, etc. And the state turned him down. So with the help of several carpet cleaning business owners, uh, Ed's customers, he started the IICUC as a third-party entity to recognize and approve training programs and offer credentials. (laughs) At first, uh, Ed's school was the only approved school, FCSA. Later, other schools were added, mostly association training arms, such as CFI school taught by Mike West and Carl Williams. And um, and then he also started in about 1972 SCT, which at one time I was the chairman of in the early 80s, and it was a great association, and now it's called SCRT. And it was specifically started for on-location carpet and upholstery cleaning. So... Some say that he actually started that to go into direct competition with AIDS, which is now RIA. I don't know if that's true or not, and Ed has passed in the, in the 90s. And so um, those are some of the stories we all get to uh, talk about. Right, and, you know, sometimes history stays the same, and I think sometimes it's rewritten. And I think exactly. Some, and I think sometimes uh, it, it, it changes. Well, at the time that Ed approached you, um, you had to write a check, right? And what were your motivations for investing in the organization? And do you remember how much the check was for? Uh, yeah, the check was for $2,000. Okay. And I can't remember if it was made out to Ed York or uh, FCSA. I, I actually cannot remember that or IICUC. Mm-hmm. But um, that was probably in about 1983 or 1984. And the main reason, Cliff, that I uh, that I purchased shares was because Ed asked me to. Mm-hmm. He said that I would be a good person to 
um, represent the industry and the trade associations and make sure that uh, he just, I guess, trusted me. And I guess I trusted him enough because I'd already been the uh, chairman for his SCT. So I just, uh, my brother and myself, Rodney, and and at that time, uh, Tom Hill and Lee Pemberton, we were the four uh, shareholders. Now, we were not the original seven founding shareholders. And just for the record, as far as I can tell, um, the original seven were Ed York, Wanda York, Frank Sultan, Alan Flissell, Larry Eskin, Joe Picado, and then a David Dudley. All right, so let's go back, and I want to get the group's mission correct because it seems that um, it was started for the purposes of training, correct? That was the mission? Yeah. Okay, good. Do you know or remember who the first registrant was? Well, uh, the original credential was the um, COP, Certificate of Proficiency, okay. and it was a three-day FCSA course. And it was written and developed by Ron Tony and Tom Hill, as far as I can tell. And it covered basic carpet cleaning, upholstery cleaning, and even a little minor carpet repair. And the exam administered after the class uh, would qualify the candidate for the IICUC certification. The original class was taught by Ron Tony, and the first beta tester, of course we didn't call it that back then, was Tom Hill. So I guess the first certified technician could have been Tom Hill, and then the certified operator is what we called it back then, since it involved operating one of the new style machines. Actually, uh, registrant card numbers started at 100, and I think Mike West holds card number 114 or something close to that. Uh, Mike uh, is likely the longest-standing active technician, while Ron Tony might be considered the longest-standing original instructor. And then my card number is number 116, so I guess I'm two behind um, to, uh, Mike West. Well, I mean, if you think today um, that they're over, that their card numbers, if if it kept correct, would be in the 53,000s, you certainly were there early. Um, Is there anything unique about nonprofit law in the state of Washington? Yes, something very unique. It's the only state, as far as I know, the only state that allows you to have shareholders, while in most other states they do not. And at the time of the conversion of the IICUC to the IICRC uh, was for profit. And uh, we went to nonprofit organization. And at that time, there was also allowed uh, four individual shareholders. And those four, uh, three of us still remain involved today. And that's Daryl Rod and uh, Lee Pimperden. And we, we will never realize any monetary gain from our ownership. And once we pass on, it, it won't be uh, passed on to any of our heirs. So there's, there's uh, currently 16 shareholder uh, associations and then three individuals that uh, um, are involved in the unique uh, arrangement that the state of Washington allows us to, uh, to be in. You know, at the beginning, you know, the organization – did training how has the mission expanded for the organization over the years what additional services um you know are now provided that weren't provided initially 
Well, restoration, you know, back then wasn't even really a, a recognized industry. It, I would say came out of, well, at least restoration in fire and water. So uh, clearly we've added uh, a lot of services in the water and fire and odor cleanup and things of that nature over the years. And so it's it's expanded uh, to writing standards originally. I, let's see, I think our first standard was what the water, you were involved with that, and I think that was 1994, if I recall. I thought, did they have a carpet one before that or not? Carpet installation, was that earlier? I don't remember. Pretty sure, you know, it might have been the S100 was the first one, and then the uh, S500 was the second one. I know I should know that. So no, I'll definitely look that up. I have a stack of them here. I don't have all our original versions, but yeah. uh, yeah, this is this is far from a test. So it started out as it started out as training, and it, we know that it's diversified into uh, standards writing, and also yeah. into the inspection area. Can you tell us a little about? You know, like, you know, what is a carpet inspector and what else, what other areas, if there are any other areas, does IICRC certify inspectors in? Uh, well, uh, yeah, certified inspectors started out in the uh, carpet flooring and then it went into the senior uh, certified inspector course. And I think that was five days. I should know I took that, but I'm not practicing in it. And, um, and now we're doing a lot of inspection in the hard surface. We're really uh, gearing up to support the hard surface division of IICRC. And there are four divisions, which is the cleaning, inspection, restoration, and now we've added a hard surface division because for the most part around the world, I don't know the number percentage, but it seems like the majority of the surfaces that need to be inspected, cleaned, restored, or preserved would be hard surfaces. So that was a natural fit for us to uh, be able to support that discipline um, in, in those, in our categories. What, what does, a um, I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah. No, go ahead. What does a carpet or flooring inspector actually do? Well, they would go out and check the quality of the cleaning that was done, possibly the uh, restoration work that had been serviced in, in those goods. Um, sometimes it depends on who hires them, uh, some, you know, what, what their needs are. Is it uh, something to do with uh, the pattern or the match? Or it could be, you know, whether it was in, on carpets, whether it was stretched properly, whether the seams were uh, bonded or put together the correct way according to the standards and, or the standard practices that a reasonable professional would use. Um, it could be odors. Uh, could be uh, they're inspecting um, uh, building-related illnesses. Um, so there's a lot of lot of things people are called out to inspect. I guess they would also inspect the quality um, and workmanship of the installation. Right. And, Absolutely. And perhaps the material itself, because I would suspect that if you're making millions of yards of or millions of square feet, depending on how the you know material is sold, that you could have some defects. So they might be familiar with factory defects and things like that. Well, there certainly is a section of that in the classes. And sometimes in the case of a mills hiring, they just want to know the truth. Is it something to do with 
maintenance? Is it something to do with something that uh, was uh, that happened during the manufacturing that they need to correct so it doesn't happen anymore? So they're hoping that we're sending out inspectors proficient enough to make that call in the field, and and um, that's a pretty uh, large. A group of who hires inspectors is uh, the carpet mills and um, could be other restoration companies could be a large group that are uh, I've never practiced inspecting so uh, I, I just wanted the credentials I wanted to know what was being done and said and that's why I I got my inspector's license for uh, certification. You know, would you disagree or agree with you know with this statement that an inspector would also need to be knowledgeable and concerned about the effect of a flooring material um, and water, you know, whether it was damaged by water or whether water vapor would permeate through it or move through it or not move through it? I would agree with that. I think that's a, a large factor. Um, how how was the cement poured? How, uh, what kind of moisture is in the ground underneath the cement? Was there the proper foundation laid? Is it seeping up? And yes, there's a lot of issues with uh, uh, sometimes people putting flooring materials down before the concrete has had a chance to correctly dry. Or on a raised foundation, there could be also issues of what's going on underneath the raised or even in the crawl space. Or, uh, so that's, that seems to be a, I would definitely agree that that's one of the issues that we always want to make sure that we rule out as part, part of the issue on whether or not the material is performing according to the specifications that the manufacturer uh, originally intended it to do, just like hard, hardwood flooring material. Uh, on top of concrete. There's, there are uh, standards that need to test the material you're attaching it to for moisture because, as we know, moisture is uh, the root of all kinds of evil for manufacturers right. and installers. Right. Uh, thank you for that. Can you tell us a little bit about why an organization who was doing training and was doing standards and was training inspectors and referring inspectors and uh, what was the motivation for diversification into a national trade association or international trade association? Well, one of the challenges the organization faces, um, IICRC, is that we're asked to be many different things for many different audiences. And by the nature of our bylaws, the IICRC is a certifying body focused on education and standards. But many times we're asked and expected to take on the role of a trade association. And some of this includes, of course, government relations, group discounts for registrants or members, uh, registrant or member marketing programs, etc. And the, the ITA, the International Trade Association, will help fulfill these needs at a national and an international level, providing uh, regional trade associations with more resources and help that we can currently provide in our certifying body role. We we cannot do those things, and it's not according to our bylaws. So. We believe that the association and the request for us to help lead that charge uh, can make an impact uh, at a national level and strengthen the regional trade associations at the same time on a state and local level. Okay. 
Um, critics say the IICRC has been very successful in growing as an organization, but this was done at the expense of regional trade associations. You know, what's the IICRC doing under your leadership to help regional associations? That's a great question. I've heard that concern by the regional associations also over the years, and, and I'm working just to open up the lines of communication so that our board can appropriately respond. And our aim is to help the regional associations succeed and thrive. In fact, there was a group of um, uh associations that asked me to serve on the executive committee for just that purpose to to represent them as the shareholder and a shareholder association so i used to chair the council of associations back in the 90s uh, that we used to run uh, uh, concurrently with the iicrc just to make sure that we were uh, aware of other people's dates and times of their events so that we didn't have competing schedules that would then of course you know, take people away and make them have to choose between events and also affect the suppliers. You know, they want to go somewhere where there's enough attendance. And uh, so what I'm trying to do, uh, Cliff, is I'm trying to contact the regional associations, which I've been successful in doing, all the presidents, and opening up a line of communication, giving them my cell phone, talking back and forth with them on, on their needs and how we can work together Um and just support them any way we can. I, I don't really know how much uh, the IICRC affected all of the regional associations. You know, the book, Who Moved the Cheese? And uh, a lot of the regional associations didn't necessarily want to do the certification or the standard writing uh, activities. So uh, we would like to think that we're in separate roles and that we would support their role as, a, as an association and that they would support our role as an institute, an education body, and a certifying body where we can administer the CECs and the other um, appropriate um, courses and standards to, to help them in their association responsibilities and in their mission. So I'm just open to uh, brainstorming and talking about any way that we can strengthen their organization and work together. You know, I, I think what happened is, and you can comment on the statement that, that I'm going to make, is, you know, the IICRC was started for educational purposes. Uh, typically, regional trade associations were started for educational purposes uh, to educate their members and provide, you know, basic skills training and, you know, deal with governmental affairs and issues that dealt with uh, that, you know, that, that were of regional concern or were of national mm -hmm. concern. And, right. I, and I think what changed things really for the industry as a whole, and I'm not saying that change was bad, but I think what changed things is the role seem to shift from education from regional trade associations who were doing it at low cost or at no cost and weren't trying to make a profit doing it because they were not supposed to make a profit based on you know their IRS code and so on and so forth. And what happened were the courses then began to be offered by distributors, by product manufacturers, and they really took off in in a big way and this 
that was done to the detriment of regional trade associations. You know, the, the, the training role that they had done initially was taken over really by people who were better equipped and were better financed and had a profit motivation, you know, for doing it. And I would agree with that. I, I do think that that is the time when that transition occurred. And the the interesting part of all of that is that there were many of these regional associations at that time in about 84 when they were for profit. And they we all band together, or all of us, and, and of course I was at the IICUC at that time, and everyone converted to nonprofit because that was a requirement to be an IICRC shareholder, IICUC at the time, shareholder. And, you know, the thing is, is that back then, when a shareholder, a regional shareholder, had a block of shares for the IICUC, they also were allowed to seat a board member. So when we had 20 um, associations, well, uh, actually 16 plus the four individual uh, then each one of those blocks were able to uh, recommend a, sh- uh, a board or director, and it was usually granted that they would have a seat on the board. So the amazing thing is, is that the shareholders were, the uh, associations were involved in voting for and promoting the IICUC, IICRC to be the certification body. So they were involved in it. Now, I kind of do feel that that did affect their uh, ability for income. So for that part, I agree with you, and I think that's important that everybody understands that change is inevitable and it happens. And in this case, it was interesting because in most cases, the regional shareholders were the ones voting for that change and supporting uh, the IICUC in an excellent way, sending great people in to, to help as much as possible. And then we, I think we really took off when we had certification in the name also. Right. I and, think, and I think that helped a lot, too, because, you know, frankly, people want to be certified. They want to be set aside from, from people who are not. Mm-hmm. You know, one thing that I learned from you and, you know, is this profit motivation or nonprofit motivation. You know, the, the one thing that I can tell you that um, the, the regional trade association I'm most familiar with was Triska, because as you were an, an, a had early involvement and would be considered a founder uh, of I, or pioneer in IICRC. I, I had the same role in Triska. We were nonprofit right. from the we were nonprofit from the very beginning, and I was really oh. surprised to hear that certain regional or other trade associations started out as uh, as a for profit. And what I wonder is if it. I don't, you know, it would seem to me that the people that did it weren't trying to make money off of their fellow cleaners, but it might have been the easiest way to get standing with the IRS. But I'm yeah, not sure. and again, I, I think that when people start out as just restoration or cleaning companies who want to give back to the industry they don't always know all of the rules and all of the best practices in the association world and you know one of the fears when you start a nonprofit is what does that mean how do you pay your bills so just because we're uh, somebody is a nonprofit it doesn't mean they don't have to make sure they have enough uh, income stream coming in to pay the expense stream going out so 
There's a lot of reasons. I think that once people are aware and do their research and they can see that a nonprofit best represents the uh, stakeholders and the registrants or members that they have, then it's, it seems that they always go that route. Okay, Daryl, we're going to sell some soap and stop for halftime, so if you could just <laughs> hang on, uh, we'll be back in a couple minutes, okay? Okay. Thank you. Thanks to our association sponsors, the National Air Duct Cleaners Association, NADCA, is the leading authority for information on HVAC inspection, cleaning, and restoration. Visit NADCA at www.nadca.com. promoting the exchange of indoor environmental information through education and research. Visit them at www.iaqa.org. And thanks to our advertisers, Gray Wolf Sensing Solutions, who use advanced sensor software technology and embedded computers to provide superior environmental test instrumentation. Visit them at wolfsense.com. Legends Environmental Insurance Services, the experts in insurance for environmental consultants and contractors for over 20 years. Learn about them at legends-enviro.com. And, of course, our marquee sponsors. Net Claims Now, providing insurance billing services for the restoration industry. For fire, water, mold, and reconstruction billing, learn more about them at www.netclaimsnow.com Indoor Environment Connections, the newspaper for the IAQ industry. Subscriptions and advertising information are available at ieconnections.com John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop. Visit them at www.johndon.com Clean Facts and Cleaning and Maintenance Management Magazine, your source for cleaning and maintenance news. Visit them at cleancleanfax.com and cmmonline.com. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IEQ Radio when you inquire about their services and products. Okay, Daryl, we're back. What I'd like to okay. do what what I'd like to do is talk a little bit about the process of rebranding the IICRC as the Clean Trust. Um, can you you know what can you tell us about that? You know wh whose idea was it? Um, you know why did the organization do it? Well, my recollection, being part of the board that made that decision, was that IICRC is a mouthful. It's a hard acronym to say. It's easy. It, it doesn't sound easy, and, and it's five words. So a lot of people mix it up, and it's a little embarrassing. So, so uh, first, you have to look at who is our customer. Uh, 
and we feel that our customer is the registrants, the firms, instructors, schools, and industry partners. And uh, they don't have as hard or difficult time with the name that's been branded over 40 years as the end users and or our customers, customers, I should say. So when, when the IICRC engaged uh, with the PR company in 2010 and 11 with approximately 1,300 responses, name recognition outside of the industry was cited as the organization's greatest challenge by a significant margin. And the feedback and the request was for a more end-user awareness in our name. So the board took off in uh, evaluating names, and, of course, we were hoping for a name that had less uh, than five words in it, but most of those acronyms were taken. <clears throat> so that was kind of challenging and a little disappointing. But during that two-year process, uh, our, our mission was to find a name that was distinctive, authentic, memorable, uh, audience-appropriate, ownable, uh, scalable, and flexible, and uh, had to be legally available. And so uh, the Clean Trust was decided through a process of reviewing the various names uh, that uh, included the new acronyms, just shortened name, and uh, three rounds of names were finally narrowed down to the Clean Trust, which then ended up being the Clean Trust certification. So it ended up being TCT and then TCTC. So we're going to start going back to more uh, acronyms again, but... Since our election in October, the board heard the feedback, and I kind of likened it, uh, Cliff, to uh, similar as a standard. You, you have your consensus body that puts out the document for peer and public review. And I looked at our, our board of 23 that made this decision in uh, 2011 and launched the new name change in October. Uh, as we did our due diligence, we did what the mission was, we sent the name out, that's what we decided was the best, uh, that board decided was the best name at that time, and so we put that out there, and then we started receiving the industry feedback and the peer review, and so many people are so, uh, uh, well, uh, excited about the name IICRC and the 40-year history that we were finally able to be recognized in the insurance community and throughout no, it didn't cover the end users, the consumer, but it did cover the stakeholders and the constituency. So I personally called the shareholder um, uh, presidents and talked to them about it over the four months uh, from the end of October until March. And each one of our 15 board members also contacted uh, many of the instructors and we also talked to other trade associations. In fact, I was with Joe and walked through the IAQA. And, of course, that came up a lot. That was the talk is, why did you guys change your name? And so then I would change that back to, what do you think we should have or why? And so we were just listening and being open to, if we didn't go too long, to you know listening to the feedback of our constituency and how they felt about it. And so... That's kind of how it happened. We did our peer review and our public review, and it was overwhelming that people really like that name, IICRC, which is when we came up with the third alternative. And the third alternative was to use the service mark also and still bring back the classic IICRC like Coke did. And, um, and uh, we, we made our attempt. We are now still able to use all the survey uh, information for the consumers, so I think we made the right decision. 
All right, so let me just recap it, and I, I think I understand it now, and I think I can agree with it now. The organization as a whole made a decision to listen to stakeholders rather than the end user, correct? I would say that would be a, a, an accurate yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. and, and then I think, I mean, I, I couldn't understand why they did it. And now, you know, I think you gave me a very, very good reason for why you did it. And, you know, I can, I can agree with that. And, you know, I, I, I in all honesty, I really wondered why you did it. And I, I really didn't agree with, you know, going back to it. But I think that's a very, very logical and very, very good reason. And, you know, the, the name um, actually says what we do and who we are. It says who we are as an institute. And what we do is we certify. And the categories of certification are in the inspection, cleaning, and restoration. And so the name actually was very descriptive of who and what the IICRC does. And when you go with just the clean trust, clearly that sounds good to the consumers, the end users of our end users, but um, it doesn't do anything. I mean, imagine how the restorers or the inspectors feel when their influence isn't, isn't still in the name that they've grown to promote and agree with over a 40-year period. So the, the, um, what I'm just grateful for is our board was willing to admit that there was a third alternative that was better than either just the IICRC by itself or just the Clean Trust by itself, and we were able to incorporate uh, the use of both those, and hopefully still use all the information on the surveys of getting to the end users and find ways that we can uh, promote both the consumer use and other industry partners that could also use the uh, Clean Trust, as well as our main core um, constituency. Satisfy all parties, in other words. Okay. How are people involved in indoor air quality, people involved, involved in mold remediation, people involved in sewage cleanup, um, how are they, you know, how, how does the IICRC rep, name, acronym represent them? Great question. I've thought a lot about that, too, and I, I think that uh, the indoor air quality group that most of us in restoration use is an independent third-party evaluator that's supposed to come out and inspect what is expected for the standard professional to achieve uh, in a built environment. And so they would come out and do sampling, and it's mostly they're sampling about our clean skills, uh, the pre-condition and the post-condition and then they're validating that through the inspection, and they're evaluating our cleaning skills and whether we were able to leave it in a normal ecology that is normal for that property, and then they do that through their sampling and testing. But they actually are coming out and inspecting, and they're inspecting our cleaning, and they're inspecting our mitigation, our remediation, and our restoration skills to be able to say, okay, this property is now ready for reconstruction services. And then they validate that. So even though we're firm believers that that's not our area, that belongs to the IAQA, they're the experts in that field, 
But we also are very aware they're an industry partner, which is one of the reasons we just um, sought to have an MOU with the IAQ uh, industry. And we're successful with that and grateful for that because they cite us in the IICRC in their standards. We cite them in, in, in our standards, and that is working together. Okay, Daryl. I, you know, and as a, as a matter of disclosure, and I didn't know this in, until it, it happened either. But actually, I told you Joe's teaching a, a rest, or he's teaching a remediation course down in Greenville, North Carolina. It's actually done in conjunction with the college, and mm -hmm. uh, they're actually listening live to to the show. And mm -hmm. one one of the students came up with a question that they've asked me to ask you. And I'm going to okay. go ahead and do that. The question from the class is, how much did it cost or, or how much does it cost to go through a name change? So when IICRC decided to switch to Clean Trust, you know, what was involved in doing that? Do you have any idea? I mean, I, I think, number one, we should talk about some of the tasks that were involved, some of the things that needed to be changed. And, uh, and I'm not sure whether or not you have any idea what it cost financially in order to do it? Um, I don't have the exact cost, so don't quote me, but I would say most likely, I would say in the neighborhood of $100,000, give or take a little bit, okay. uh, over the time that we spent. And that does not include all of the volunteer time. Mm -hmm. That's just uh, paid consultants and experts. Um, the good news is, is that most everybody agrees the IICRC logo uh, of the 70s and, and 80s and 90s needed to be uh, uh, updated to this millennium. And so most of the work, well, I don't know about most of the work, the majority of the work that we did in the name change is going to be able to be incorporated into the service mark for the Clean Trust. And uh, we're really only paying for some additional um, uh, IICRC incorporation of the logo in the world and but it's still going to be the name, and now we've just added a service mark. So I don't know how much of it is wasted, as I guess is what I'm saying, is if anybody thinks, well, that's a, that's a waste of money. Well, um, I think having the third alternative of being able to use both names, uh, almost like a good housekeeping seal, the clean trust would be. Um, and I actually think that in the long run, we're going to find value in that we were able to use all of the logo and branding work that we did for both those names and just uh, come out ahead as the, like I said, the best of uh, all worlds, really. I'm yeah. hoping that's the way it ends up. Well, you know, while you may have gotten criticism about wasting money from someone else, uh, you didn't get it from me and you didn't get it from... Uh, you know, the question that they just wanted some idea of what it cost, because, I mean, these are college students oftentimes and, you know, younger people, and they just wonder about that. And, you know, when, when it comes down to it, you know, like you're talking about these consultants and, you know, you're absolutely right. You know, when, you know try to register a, don a domain name, you know, and you look and, you know, nine chances out of 10 or maybe 99 chances out of 100, someone's already registered that domain name and you know everyone thinks right. they have original ideas and you know try to file a patent and when you do it you find out that someone else had the same idea and you know you're absolutely right when you start putting together these individual letters and acronyms and so on and so forth i mean there are a lot of organizations 
and groups and, and people and businesses and so on and so forth, uh, you know, that, that may have been using, uh, you know, the same term that you want to use or the same abbreviation, you know, long before you. Yeah, and then and then also just paying for surveys. I mean, surveys. I would caution anybody that is looking to change their name. And I kind of look at the way IBM is. You know, most people know IBM as a software and uh, uh, that type of a company. But it originally started out as International Business Machines. I'm not even aware if they sell machines anymore. Right. But they didn't change their name. They mostly are known as their acronym, right. uh, IBM. So. I would caution anybody that's going to change their name to really uh, look look uh, carefully at those costs. I think that was a great question. I'm glad I had the opportunity to talk a little bit about that, so thank you. You know, I think it's not even name change. It's really, we probably inter- introduced the term branding, you know, because what you're trying to do is is develop a brand, popularize right. uh, a, a brand. I've got a couple of additional questions that are in a different area, Daryl, if you don't mind, if we can transition into uh, certification. You know, what are your ideas or what are the organization's ideas on third-party approval of certification programs? You know, is it something that you would think is beneficial, it's not necessary, it is necessary? Uh, You know, what are your opinions on third-party certification? Well, my current opinion on third-party accreditation is to listen to what our registrants and firms want and to make sure that we're representative of what their needs are. And to uh, right now, one of the requests we had was to put together a uh, mold remediation specialist, mold removal specialist course, and that is our first accredited third-party ANSI-approved course. And we've already been working on that course for, I'd say, six months to a year. And it's been a lot of work. We've had to have 200 beta testers. And uh, so we're working on, in other words, after we complete this first course, we're going to have more information to share with our stakeholders, registrants, and firms. We're going to be hearing more feedback from our instructors in schools. And we're going to, I would be better equipped to answer that. Um, I'm very grateful that we're doing this accredited course right now. This is the information that we needed to have. Uh, This is a result of licensing requests by states, particularly Florida, and and saying that you would have to have a license to work there, and in order to get that license, you would need to be accredited by a third party um, in order to apply for that license. Now it's looking like that may not happen, there's new news. You know, you never know what the states are going to do. So it's important that we uh, make sure that our courses are valuable to our registrants and they remain that way and that we stand ready to serve them in a, in a quick fashion. So for us to go through this first course in the most likely category because of public health, um, which is microbial remediation services, uh, we now have some of that. We know what it takes under our belt, and we know what the costs are, and we know what the benefits are, or we're, we're, we're gaining that information. And so uh, I'd, I'd like the opportunity to answer that question once I have more information uh, on the next show, if I have an opportunity to come back on again. Okay. Um, 
Will IICRC continue working toward third-party approval of additional certification programs? Is it something that you think you're going to try to develop, or do you think it's not necessary? Because I suspect this takes a long time, and this costs a lot of money. Well, and that's that's exactly what we're researching. I do know that our, we're developing an S600, which is a carpet installation standard, with our industry partner CRI and World Floor Covering Association, and they're our sponsors, and they've asked us to put together an ANSI-accredited course. So there is the demand. There is the request of the people that would use this program. And we are willing to support our industry partners and put that accredited course together for them. They think that uh, it's their belief, I don't want to speak for them, but this is what I'm hearing, that that is better to have the 40,000 installers, don't quote me on that number, however many there are in North America at least, um, um, have an accredited course and not just a certification course. So. So that demand is there, and we intend to move forward in that in the year 2013 for those industry partners of ours and take the information out of the S600 um, carpet uh, guideline, installation guidelines and standards and put a course together for them. And I do believe that accredited courses, if we could do it in a cost-effective manner and if it is what our stakeholders and constituents want us to do, I do believe there are other courses we should seriously consider to be accredited. You know, would you agree that the certificate, you know, the, the, the people that are taking this courses, they want the certification now. They, they want it today. They, they want it immediately. And oftentimes there can be a lag of several years and costs of tens of thousands of dollars to take this you know, to, to take this through over the hurdles that you have to get through in order to have a uh, have a course approved. Would you agree? Yes, I, I do agree. Now, that doesn't stop you from having education pro programs and certificate programs that you can still run along with third-party accredited courses. So I think that we just have to determine where the demand is and where the most common sense, which, as you know, is uncommonly found. Right. right. But where, where does that fit the best for the marketplace? And then keep in mind, as you mentioned, there's a lot of associated cost and tracking and rules and regulations to by the third-party accreditor to maintain those in the continuing educations. And we've seen that in the marketplace in the last few years with other uh, organizations. I, that's a very important point, that you do need continuing education and the ongoing core costs of maintaining the licensing, you know, very important. And I suspect these courses, courses are going to be more expensive for someone to take because of all the developmental costs that go into it. So there, there are, there's some cost sharing going to go around, I suspect, with that. Yeah, and we're very uh, cost sensitive, you know, because we have the, uh, the, the privilege or the honor of uh, having so many registrants. We, we want to maintain affordability, in a, in, especially in times like this. We've, we, we strive to continue to be affordable. And so I think the order of the day is efficiency, refinement, 
innovation, use of, uh, you know, technology, we need to embrace it. You know, I, I think a very important point that you made that, that I want to repeat is, you know, those of us that serve and have served, uh, whether it's on a local or regional or national or international level working with nonprofit trade associations, it is an honor and a privilege, uh, you know, doing the work and, and representing, you know, the people involved with, with the organization. Uh, thank you for, for doing it for as long as you've done it. If you're going to hang on, we're going to go into what we call a roundup, and okay. uh, we're just going to go around the horn one time. And uh, Okay. Okay, good. Move them on, hit them up, hit them up, move them on, move them on, hit them up, raw high. Cut them out, ride them in, ride them in, let them out, cut them out, ride them in, raw Okay, I've unmuted, uh, I guess, all the people that are going to comment. Pete's that you, IQ guest too? Yes, that's me, Cliff. Okay, all right. Question or comment for Daryl? Well, I, uh, I think, as you know, I um, just finished up our RIA convention yesterday, so I came in a little bit after the halftime, caught, you know, the last, 20 minutes of y'all talking. I thought it was great. Certainly, I'll, I'll go listen to the podcast and get the entire interview. Uh, Daryl, uh, good job. Everything I heard was was terrific, Cliff. Uh, I came in about the time where Daryl changed your mind, and now you kind of agree with the uh, with the name change. Um, I'll go listen to the whole interview and kind of kind of get the whole part on that. But I, I think as as your listeners and people people know, the RAA and the, and the IICRC have signed an MOU and are, are basically working together to try to find, uh, you know, where they can collaborate, uh, not only for members of RAA and certainly the registrants and stakeholders of IICRC, but for the greater industry at large. I think that's all good, really good stuff. And I'm uh, I'm just, uh, you know, happy that the industry is working together really to the greater good. And other than that, I, I really don't have much to say except, you know, good luck to everybody that's uh, involved in these leadership positions who volunteers their time, um, you know, to, to help move the, move the industry forward. So, uh you know, in any way I can help, uh, you know, I will either in my RAA role, just as Pete can signal. Okay. So uh, good luck, and uh, I think all the work left uh, in the venue that IEQ Radio serves to help get these important messages out is great, even though your listenership, you know, only so many people can maybe call in at noon uh, every Friday, but they can go to the podcast, they can download that, and uh, they can listen at their own leisure, and, and I think... Uh, that's something uh, I had suggested to Daryl, and you know, I think it'd be great you know, for the IICRC to do to help get the, you know, to get the message out to a broader audience. So maybe Daryl may want to comment on that. Yes. Well, I've been doing a lot of radio shows and videos, and I think this IAQA show, being uh, diverse from the from the other uh, venues, is a great one. We just need to get the word out and. Um, this is a relationship that we all have together for the greater good, as you mentioned, Pete. In fact, our theme for the IICRC this year of 2012 is relationships. That is what our board is working on. That's why they're calling instructors in schools. Hear what we need to do to change meaningful, positive change and support 
And, of course, it's also why we're working with MOUs to reach out to the industry partners and to also um, set, as Frank said, Frank Heaton at the RIA, um, the next decade, set up the next decade for uh, as a legacy for the people who are taking over for, for many of us. I have 29 years on the board now, and, and I'm ready, frankly, to uh, know that I've done my job and I'm ready for our restructuring, which we now have rotation for our leadership roles. And we're not, people aren't able to stay in as long, which many of the quality associations, you know, also have. So I, I really appreciate what you're doing too, Cliff and Joe and all of you involved in the IAQ radio show. Okay, hang on a second. Uh, we're going to bring on a technical director, Dr. Dietrich Weil, and see if he has any questions or comments. Dieter? Yes, I'm here. Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, wherever you are. <laughs> um, it's kind of interesting. In, in fact, I have, I have a question and a comment. comment. Uh, it's kind of interesting that a, a gang of industry fellows got together and they said, hey, we got to sit down and we have to start an educational program. I have absolutely no problem with that whatsoever. In fact, I'm glad that somebody recognized this. And from what Daryl told me, that is apparently how the original IICRC started. Is that correct? Right, yes? Yes, that is correct. Uh, that is unbelievable. I was a member directly and indirectly, um, a member of uh, uh, industry associations, when I was full-time employed at the University of Pittsburgh and Bayer Chemical Corporation. Of course, they belong to I don't know how many committees. And uh, that question, I mean, the question of educating maybe the customer and making available information to them, call it teaching, is all right. Now, the other question that I have, you say you have now... Uh, an approved course um, for uh, mold remediators. Uh, I don't know what the exact title is. Is that correct? Yes, mold removal specialist. Okay, but, but it's not completed yet. Yeah, it's and, not completed yet. It's in process. We're we're on the home stretch. Okay, that's fine. I <laughs> I, I worked <laughs> yeah on those programs for the last twelve years. Yeah, we did ours always over a weekend. Yeah, I know how long it takes. It's uh, it's a pain in the neck. It's it's unbelievable how most people don't realize of how many hours you have to put in the front end uh, uh, to get somewhere. But if that is a, uh, I mean, okay, you get a certificate, I guess, or a, a certificate of attendance, but you are still not uh, certified through. And I don't know the acronym of uh, that, that certifying board that takes care of many um, certifications. I, 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 it's, it's out in Arizona. I forgot about it, that the name about it. I saw it. So you still have to go through that certification process after you took the course to pass the test. Is that correct? 
I'm not sure all the details on that. I know that our accreditation is approved American National Standard, uh, ANSI. Okay. But I'm not sure about the Arizona part of your question. I think I'm pretty sure that, well, uh, I, I guess I, I can take a course that is approved by uh, uh, the American Industrial Hygiene Association or ACGIH, the American Conference of Governmental Industrial Hygienists. In fact, they have a ton of courses on. But even if you pass it and you are doing well, and I don't know whether there is a test at the end, in most cases it is not, you are still not a certified industrial hygienist. you got to go and... Yeah, do that in addition, yeah. Right, but right. That sounds good. I mean, I like, uh, I, I have been teaching basically my whole professional life, and um, I certainly um, support any activity that uh, uh, teaches people how to do it right or uh, give them some tools with which they can uh, get a job and make money. That's, yeah, I think that's terrific. Yeah, and also allows some standardization, some consistency in how a reasonable professional would approach a standard level of care. And, of course, that's, that's obviously our goal, too, not to have everybody doing it different all over the place. And that's part of our continuing education credits. That's part of revising our exams, revising our standards as new technology and information becomes available. Our consensus bodies incorporate that after they vet that information and then into the standards, and then they change the exams on a regular basis, which is part of a third-party accreditation. You you cannot keep the same exam in operation in 10 or 15 years. It has to be updated. For obvious reasons. <laughs> and yeah, I know for obvious reasons. Yes, great point. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, and I agree with you 100%. I mean, if we in every state would have three bodies which do uh, teach the same uh, course that would be 100, what, 150 courses. Right. Uh, that is watering it down. And how can you get quality or keep quality uh, control in that? That's, it's virtually impossible. But maybe we should get uh, together, all of us, and get a course together on how to teach the people we are voting for of what they can do to serve us who voted for them. That would be nice. <laughs> I, and I make up the test and I grade it. <laughs> <laughs> but who checks you? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm being checked. I just, uh, I'm just, I, just thought, I just thought last, uh, uh, this week, uh -huh. with OU, he is very, very busy in South Carolina. In fact, he's teaching right now. I know that. Right. And I taught with him Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. I got back last night. So, yeah, we have to do things to educate people. <laughs> yes. Well, I'm, I'm in favor of uh, some type of uh, education mentoring program or whatever for those that are volunteering and in service on, uh, as you mentioned, how to serve the stakeholders and the constituency the way that we're supposed to. And, and I think that would be an excellent class. I would be in favor of something like that. Absolutely. And I think we are forgetting that sometimes. I think it's a good idea. We should get together and talk about 
Uh, and I think a lot of the people that are serving would love to have something like that, like well, a, ha- a handbook. I mean, there is such. Yeah, they have ethical standards and uh, uh, and all of that. But I think sometimes those people they just do forget of what their job really was. And if if I teach a class and somebody comes or writes to me after the class and says, "Hey, Dieter, you screwed up there and there and there," man, I'm going to sit down and look at that very carefully. And I asked perhaps somebody else who was a witness, and I said, did I really screw up? Or I said, only the one in a hundred who didn't like me because I speak with a German accent or what? Yeah, <laughs> because yeah. I was taller than he was, mm-hmm. what he was. Um, yeah, that, that, those, those, those are good questions and good suggestions, yes. And I mean, congratulations on your job. I think it's fine. I know about, you know, IICRC now for probably 15 or so years. And um, I obviously use, uh, in fact, they got me off the hook on two occasions. <laughs> oh, great. Uh, when uh, we showed, when we showed the other side, there were lawsuits involved. And I okay. said, good fellows, here is, this is not the law, this is not federal law, this is not statute law, okay. but here is a book that is, or it is a book, Mm-hmm. It's put together by people who have been doing this for years and years and years and years. And here are the standards um, that they have come up with. And this is a, a typical way of getting it. Now, we, I know that one shoe doesn't fit all. I know that. There are slight variations to the theme, whether you do that in, in Alaska or in Florida, uh, whatever, something like that. But um, I think... Um, uh, it, it, it is good to, to, to have a, a, a clear outline in front of you before you start, yes. And one of the things that we're doing in our consensus body is we've just uh, hired a full-time ANSI certified, her name is Millie Washington, who has years of experience working with AIHA in developing standards. And so we're uh, honored and privileged to have her involved now in our standards and one of the related standards to the IAQ industry is our S520, which we're just now starting our, our consensus body and the revision that is due to uh, be worked on this year. So I would encourage anybody that wants to partake in that to uh, contact uh, Millie Washington and uh, the corporate office and find out how to go about signing up so that they're part of our consensus body or part of our committee chairs, vice chairs, and, and be involved so that we have a good representation, which is a MIPS, Materially Interested Parties, representative and reflective of the document that you mentioned that is the standard and the guidelines of what reasonable professionals would expect and what our consumers would expect for what we would say is a job well done. So keep that in mind for anybody who wants to volunteer and take time to be involved and uh, rub shoulders with some of the great minds in the industry and those that are willing to give back to the industry, that's a great document that's up for revision right now, and we would uh, um, solicit your support in any way that you can uh, help make that the best document, best revision yet. Okay. Daryl, thank you so much for joining us, and uh, we always like to give our guests the last word. Is there any final comment that you would like to add? And also, if you could provide your contact info so our listeners can get in touch with you? 
Um, yes, um, let's see. The final is that, uh, well, this will be my final couple of years here as uh, being on the board of uh, IICRC and representing uh, an industry that has been very good to me for all the years and representing what our founder, Ed York, uh, originally uh, expected us to all do, which was to leave a legacy behind. And um, as many of us are agreeing, uh, I like to say we are not old, but we are getting older. And uh, that, uh, that we have a responsibility to give back to the industry that's been so good to us and give back in a way that uh, is meaningful for the next generations. So uh, I would say the way to contact me is um, through our Vancouver office, and that uh, the phone number would be uh, 360-693-5675 or www.iicrc.org. Well, before we leave, we want to thank today's guest, Daryl Paulson, my co-host, Radio Joe Use, our engineer, Valerie Bemder, our technical director, Dr. Dieter Weil. But most importantly, we want to thank you, our growing audience of loyal listeners. Please come back and join us next Friday at noon for the next broadcast of IAQ Radio. When you out there in the world, I'm still your girl. With all my classes, I don't have the time for life's thrills. So when you sweating on stage, think of me when you rhyme. And don't be listening to your homies, they yeah, think so you're blind. Is you crazy, you my kid. has been another IAQ Radio production. 